Scripture says that God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But what is the truth? And how do we gain that knowledge? The answer to these questions and more in today's edition of Faith with Father. Living Bread Radio presents Faith with Father, a program aimed at teaching today's culture the truth about the Catholic faith. And now here's your host, Tim Perry. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Faith with Father. I'm your host, Tim Perry, and with me today in studio is Father Nicholas Mancini, currently the pastor of Sacred Heart of Mary Parish in Louisville, and he's the spiritual director for us here at Living Bread Radio. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Tim. It's great to have you on the show again. Thank you. We're uh, discussing the UCAT, the Youth Catechism of the Catholic Church, about what we believe as Catholics, and we've been discussing the Ten Commandments, uh, in particular the Sixth Commandment. So 416 of the UCAT asks, what are the essential elements of Christian marriage? Okay, let's look at the, the four basic elements here. First, unity. Marriage is a covenant that by its very nature brings about bodily, intellectual, and spiritual union between a man and a woman. Second, indissolvability. Marriage lasts until death do us part. Third, openness to offspring. Every marriage must be open to children. And fourth, commitment to the spouse's welfare. If one of the two spouses deliberately excludes one of the four points listed above at the time of their wedding, the sacrament of matrimony does not take place. And let's look here at something that Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI pointed out. Today, the need to avoid confusing marriage with other types of unions based on weak love is especially urgent. It is only the rock of total irrevocable love between a man and a woman that can serve as the foundation on which to build a society that will become a home for all mankind. And, you know, when we think of that, then you look at the beauty and the dignity of marriage. And once again, we, we can't forget here Matthew 19, you know, verses 5 to 6. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Yeah, unfortunately there's so many marriages today that end in divorce. Uh, back in the 70s when the no-fault divorce came out, I mean, it, it was unheard of during my mom and dad's generation, mm-hmm. and it was a scandal to get divorced. Now, it's it's too common, unfortunately. Right. It's, it's not permanent. And uh, on question four, uh, one point I'd like to make on the commitment to the spouse's welfare, I had a priest explain to me that it's my number one responsibility to help my spouse and children get to heaven. Yes. 
And, and so that's the commitment that spouses make to one another and for their family is that we need to help mm-hmm. each other get to heaven. That's our number one priority in the marriage. Right. You know, and the exhortation on marriage is so beautiful from St. Paul. He says, you know, dearly beloved, as you know, you are about to enter into a union which is most sacred and most serious, a union that was established by God himself. And by it, you will be one in mind, one in heart, and one in affection. And whatever sacrifices you hereafter make, you must make them generously. For not knowing what is before you, you take each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, until death do you part." So I think, you know, we have to reflect on those beautiful words of Paul in the beauty and the dignity of marriage and that commitment of spouses to one another. Mm -hmm. So what significance does the sexual encounter have within marriage? Well, according to God's will, husband and wife should encounter each other in bodily union so as to be united ever more deeply with one another in love and to allow children to proceed from their love. In Christianity, the body pleasure and the the joy expressed in this is that bond that brings husband and wife into that conjugal union to share in the work of procreation, to bring forth life, the beauty of a child, to build a family around the, the center of God's love. What a beautiful gift that is. What a beautiful gift. Okay. So question 418 asks, what is the significance of the child in a marriage? A child is a creature and a gift of God who comes to earth through the love of his parents. True love does not desire a couple to be self-contained. Love opens up in the child. A child that has been conceived and born is not something made, nor is he the sum of his paternal and maternal genes. He is a completely new and unique creature of God, equipped with his own soul The child, therefore, does not belong to the parents and is not their property. And, you know, this gift of God is the beautiful expression of love. And therefore, when God permits this and the joy of knowing that life has been conceived, then the expression of that joy and love when that child is born upon the face of the parents is the radiance of God smiling and the joy and the happiness that this child brings. Mother Teresa of Calcutta said that every child is precious and every child is a creature of God. Yes. And how beautiful that is. That's a beautiful expression. So how many children should a Christian married couple have, Father? A Christian married couple has as many children as God gives them and as they can take responsibility for. 
And, uh, you know, if they want three, four, five, six, if God blesses them, beautiful. What a beautiful sign, an expression of love, to build that family of God with the joy of children in your home. I know some of the saints were from families with as many as 20 or 25 children. Yeah. And uh, today, if you were to have seven or eight children, a lot of people think that that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, I'm the oldest of six, and, yeah. and, and again, it's just not uncommon. I know my wife's uh, dad was the youngest of 13. Wow. So again, big families are, are, are a blessing. Right. They yes, really are they a blessing. Are. Mm-hmm. So may a Christian married couple regulate the number of children that they have? Yes, a Christian married couple may and should be responsible in using the gift and the privilege of transmitting life. Sometimes social, psychological, and medical conditions are such that in a given circumstance, an additional child would be a big and almost superhuman challenge for the couple. Hence, there are clear criteria that the married couple must observe. Regulating births in the first place must not mean that the couple is avoiding conception as a matter of principle. Second, it must not mean avoiding children for selfish reasons. Third, it must not mean that external coercion is involved. If, for example, the state were to decide how many children a couple should have. Fourth, it must not mean that any and every means be used. Well, of course, that leads to the uh, to the fact of the church approving natural family planning. And again, Mother Teresa said of natural family planning that it is nothing more than self-control out of love for each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. So why are all methods of preventing the conception of a child not equally good? The church recommends the refined methods of self-observation and natural family planning as methods of deliberately regulating conception. These are in keeping with the dignity of man and woman. They respect the innate laws of the female body. They demand mutual affection and consideration and therefore are a school of love. Now, uh, blessed uh, John Paul II describes a contraception as opposed to the regulation of births as follows. When couples have recourse to contraception, they manipulate and degrade human sexuality and with it themselves and their married partner, particularly alienating its value of total self-giving. Thus, the innate language that expresses the total reciprocal of self-giving of husband and wife is overlaid. Through contraception, by an objectively contradictory language, Namely, that of not giving oneself totally to the other, this leads not only 
to a positive refusal to be open to life, but also to be sort of a falsification of the inner truth of conjugal love, which is called upon to give itself in personal totality. And I think we have to, you know, read this over again, the message of <coughs> Blessed John Paul II. And I think that's why the UCAT here points this out so strongly. And I think if anyone who has a copy of this or the Catechism of the Catholic Church reads that, those beautiful words of Blessed John Paul, then I think they'll, they'll come to the understanding. Selfishness. No, we can't do this. We cannot be selfish. Well, also out of respect for human dignity, the church cannot approve of surrogate motherhood or artificial fertilization. It all has to do with the dignity of the person. Exactly. Exactly. All right, great. Well, we've been listening to Father Nicholas Mancini as we go through the UCAT, the Youth Catechism of the Catholic Church, discussing what we believe as Catholics. And we've been discussing the Ten Commandments, in particular today, the Sixth Commandment. And this is your host, Tim Perry, reminding you that you're only one good confession away from receiving Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. If you haven't been to confession or if you haven't been to church for a while, now would be a great time. Until next time, may God bless you and yours. Bye for now. This has been Faith with Father, a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. For an audio archive of this program, log on to livingbreadradio.com and click on Faith with Father. If you have a question or comment about today's program, email us at askfather at livingbreadradio.com. And join us again next time for another edition of Faith with Father.